not that I'm not reading my Bible, it's I have a dog that ate my Bible. Did you ever use that for your homework in school? My dog, my dog did. My dog ate my Bible. Um, my uh, other Bible fell apart, and then I found a Bible that I had. A, oh, it's the perfect size. And my daughter had got it when we were in North Carolina and used a highlighter and everything. I mean, I don't know if you can see all that. Everything's highlighted. It looks like she was young enough to say that she married me on a date. <laughs> Going through this, I, oh, I'm going to keep this one because it's a classic. You know, I wanted to mention, I want to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible that you read, and many of us are in the electronic era. It's great to have the different apps I will read um, books, right, and not have the, the physical book, but there's something to me about reading the Bible and underline. I know you can underline and highlight in all the Bible programs. You can do all those type of things. There's something about it to have it, to read it. And even if it's full of all of these different highlights and different pens and colors that you never heard of, it's something important about getting his word in your heart and writing these things down. So, if you have your Bibles, or if you have an app, um, open with me, and I'll get there in a couple minutes, to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. What I like to do, usually the first month in January, especially on our Sundays, is I really try to take this month to pray about, God, what would you want us to theme this year by? And so I usually take January as a month of time to pray, not necessarily knowing exactly. And so the first of the month we did on communion. The um, last two Sundays, we've talked about until he comes. Last Sunday, we talked about that Jesus is coming soon, that we need to be awake and alert and ready. Well, today I want to look at um, an interaction and a really what had happened, a transformation that took place when Jesus impacted the life of a guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus. The man who would become the Apostle Paul, who would be responsible for two-thirds of our New Testament, who would plant churches, who would oversee churches, but who was transformed in an interaction that he had with Jesus. So my prayer for us today is, like we did at the transition of the service, that we would take this life that is God's and God's alone, and put it before him. And as we see him in the Bible, transforming lives, he wants to do that in my life. He wants to do that in your life. Tell your neighbor, wake up. He wants to do that in your life, right? He wants to do that in your life today. Because everywhere Jesus went, he changed lives. He changed lives. He wasn't raving about the popularity of the crowd that he had. Did you see how many people we fed? He interacted with people, individuals, people by name. Everywhere he went, he changed lives. In fact, you could almost say his role, what he was doing, attacking the early church, we would label him as a terrorist. What he was doing was going after the church people. Actually, the greatest conversion probably in the Bible is probably Saul to Paul. Because it didn't just end up with him accepting Jesus as his Lord. It went on to radically change the course of his life. And think about this. The man's been dead for 
2,000 or so years or less. And, and we're talking about him today because of the transformation that took place in his life. You know, and I thought about the early church early on. I really wonder what the prayers were of the early church. Now remember, early on, they're already being persecuted. Early on, they're already getting drugged into jail. Peter's having to go before a council. But, you know, when we read Acts 2, verse 47, it says this. They were praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to the church daily those that were being saved. This is read early on, but they're in the midst of a time that the pressure is now on. The persecution is going to hit. Jailing is going to hit. In fact, even if you read your Bibles as you go through the book of Acts, they are specifically told you are not allowed to use the name of Jesus. Now, did that stop them? No. But we read that verse, right? So what were they doing? What's a great way for us? They were praising God. They were having favor with people, and the Lord was adding I was with a pastor a week ago that um, prays once a month in his city's church council meeting, and he is told, you are not allowed to say the name of Jesus. Okay, so when we're reading these things, right, these are, so you know, I couldn't say it, I would have to write it down. So he closes with, and I want to end my prayer time with the one that has changed my life that you can read about in the Bible that was crucified and rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Lord. And he says, amen. <laughs> right? right? He just said, says it right, right out there. So these things that we're reading don't, I mean, don't be shocked. This is happening in a city in California, forbidden to say the name of Jesus. You know, in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it says, then the churches... Throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. There's still persecutions. There's still jailings. They're still being forbidden. They had peace. They were edified. And walking, here, here's the important part, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Well, Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he tells them to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What had happened was the church was going so good that they were all kind of camped out in Jerusalem, and the minute persecution hit, they started going out. And so that's when we read that scripture, that the churches throughout all of these different areas had peace, and they were edified in the midst of this. But there was a guy by the name of Saul that really upped the game. He wasn't one that was just happy about imprisoning Christians. He wanted to destroy Christians. In fact, his um, mentor, Gamamel, who you can read about in Acts 5, his mentor says this in just two verses about what to do with the Christians. And here's what he says. He says, and now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you be found to fight 
against God. So what was he saying to do with the ones that he jailed? These apostles, just let them alone. Let them alone. If it's not of God, it's going to fizzle. In fact, if you read a little bit in chapter 5, he mentions two guys, a guy by the name of Thudeus and a guy by the name of Judas, a different Judas, who had multitudes of people following them. Interesting that the first one, Thudeus, had 400 people following him. Both were killed and the people dispersed. Interesting the Bible would say 400 because... The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about that there were over 500 eyewitnesses of Jesus. But it's mentioned here, leave them alone. If it's not of God, it'll fizzle. But if it is of God, you'll never be able to overthrow it. Well, Saul must have not been there. Or maybe Saul was the guy that was supposed to do the dirty work. Because when Saul woke up in the morning and his feet hit the floor, his mission was to destroy the Christians, destroy this church, stamp out the use of this name of Jesus. And so he's on the move. In fact, we read first about him in the book of Acts, in Acts 7, verse 58. And it says this about the stoning of Stephen. It says, and they cast him out of the city. And stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Taking off a robe so that they could pick up a stone. And they stoned Stephen, the first martyr of the church. The one, if you read about, was peeking into heaven and he was declaring Jesus. And he was stoned. I mean, I thought, that's not a way to go out, is it? Getting pelted with these big stones. But it... These guys, the guy holding these robes where the clothes were is Saul. And you kind of get a, a picture, if you could, that this is what Saul envisions happening to all of these Christians. We've got to wipe them out. You know, we don't have time to go into his back life, but man, this guy studied hard. He was the up-and-coming one. He knew the law inside and out. He actually talks about that. He followed the law to the dot and tittle, the period, crossing the T, the I, everything. He made sure to follow it. In fact, he called himself that he was blameless concerning the law. He was following a student of the scriptures. And so now he wants to take on this mission to wreak havoc on the church. And that's what the next uh, verse, Acts 8.3 says this. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Can you imagine you get a knock on the door? You open up the Saul and he's grabbing whoever he can grab and drags him out of the house? Boy, that's what was happening. We had a family that we got to know several years ago that had come from Russia when it was the Soviet Union. And to hear them talk about their Bible study that they did in the house, somehow, someway, it must have got out that a group were gathering, having a Bible study. And they, they told the story this way. In a matter of just a few days, they noticed that a huge outdoor light had been installed that shined right into their backyard. Like overnight, somebody installed this light that was shining now in their backyard because that's where they would have Bible study. 
So the dad had the kids go out and throw rocks at it to break it, right? Make sure that it was broken because they'd have their study out there. In a day or two, it would be fixed. And so they knew they were being watched because they were having Bible studies in their house. People were coming to Jesus. They would even put up a light, right? Nowadays, somebody would put up a camera, but they would put up a light back in those days. We read that about Saul. He's wanting to make havoc out of the church. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says this, Then Saul, still breathing threats, and what? Say it with me. Murder. Wow. I thought the guy's supposed to follow the law. He's, he's breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bound them and take them to Jerusalem. He wants an official document to go find the Christians to bind them up and drag them back to Jerusalem. And so obviously he's going to get that, that wish to do it. But there's going to be an encounter. We won't take time today to read it, but you can read it in Acts 9. He's going to have an encounter on the road to Damascus with Jesus. In fact, Jesus is taking it personally that he's persecuting his church. Let me put a little period right there. If you've never researched these countries that persecute Christians. I'd encourage you to do so. It's so easy to do. But when you read about the testimonies that are taking place of people that regardless of the climate of the country are still having Bible study. I tell this story all the time. We showed a picture a couple years ago. It was the South Koreans that were loading Bibles on all of these balloons and they had some GPS um, little propeller on it and they were sending the balloons across into North Korea and at a certain location it would drop these Bibles. And so these guys in the article are being praised that they would have the guts to get Bibles and to send them over to North Korea but they quickly stopped the reporter to say it's not us that has the guts. It's the North Korean that the minute those Bibles hit go and pick it up they're the ones. You know, we read about these countries that it would appear that they're cut off to the gospel, but then you read reports about Iran, these places that the gospel is moving. Well, it's just like Gamabel said, you can't stop it, right? You can outlaw it, you can ban it, you can't stop it. You, the word of God, the apostle Paul said, is not chained. You can't chain it down. It begins to move. So Saul has this encounter with Jesus that he can't see, and now he's been taken, and at that time, God speaks to a man named Ananias and says, I want you to go to a street called Straight, and you're going to witness to a man named Saul. Now, if you and I had those things, great. You know, Ananias, uh, God, I've heard of this guy. Are you sure? This isn't a trick. Am I listening to the right voice? This, this no, no, not Saul. Uh, not, no, no, let's leave him alone. Well, we know that Ananias goes and prays. God didn't pick the wrong guy to go. He ends up praying. Saul begins to see. The Bible says that immediately he preached Jesus in one of the synagogues. 
And people were really skeptical about him. They were wondering, like we would probably do today, is this for real? Well, it seems like in the scripture that he goes away for, Paul goes away, Saul goes away for about three years and is studying the scripture, spending time probably with the apostles until he comes out and starts fulfilling the ministry that he has for Jesus. His identity and name will change, but that's not what changed with Paul. Jesus changed him. If Jesus can change a man that is that ruthless, he can change any heart, and that is his mission, to change hearts. In fact, um, the Apostle Paul refers to a few times, I want to read one of them, Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. You know, you probably had to say that in churches because you probably had to say, yeah, you probably heard of me, what I did, but he said, how I persecuted the church of God, what? Beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. Boy, that would be a humbling thing if that's what you did. And now you're writing to the church of Galatia and you're reminding them about who you were. I don't like thinking back sometimes about who, some of you, who you were. Things that you did. I was proud of myself the other morning. It was Thursday morning. Freeway was backed up. And this guy decides to cut right off in front of me. Almost clipped, clipped the car and I hit the brakes backed up and I honked. Wasn't allowed, you know, it wasn't one like, I'm going to, you know, ha, ever having, just like one of that. He rolled down his window and he flipped me off and was swinging his hand in the air and he was probably saying it in the car. And I thought, it didn't do a thing to me, right? It didn't cause any road rage. You didn't have to read about a pastor on the 210 freeway on Thursday. <laughs> But I thought, I'm so glad he didn't meet 19-year-old me. <laughs> Anybody have a witness like that? I'm glad. I'm glad he didn't meet 19-year-old me. And we think back and we think, oh, how he's changed us. Yet, it's been an investment on our part to get this nature out. However, yesterday, um, I was running my son. He needed a suit to Los Angeles early in the morning to get him a suit and he was hungry. We were pulling through a drive-thru and my family says these things only happen to me to test my nature because it never happens to them. Like uh, a month or so ago I was pulling in the morning early to get coffee and this car was taking forever and you could see the person was arguing with the person at the window and when I pulled up they said I'm so sorry they had ordered 15 drinks with one person in the car, and we told them they had to go around and park. Well, this lady's arguing. She doesn't want to park. She's going to put it in park. She's going to block up the whole drive-through lane, you know, that type of thing. And, uh, you know, and they always say, that only happens to you. So we're pulling through a drive-through. He's hungry, and this car pulls in front of me, and they stop, and they get out. They're parked in the drive-through lane, and they start going through the back of their car. I don't know what they were looking for. I'm noticing the lines moving up, moving up, moving up. And it's an older couple, and I, I usually say this to get a rise out of my son. I'm going to honk at him. No, you're not, Dad. Yeah, I'm going I'm to give her. I'm going to give him a. I'm going to give him a good honk. So I, I'm kind of. I'm kind of laughing. He'll talk to me tonight probably. And I'm noticing that the last car is about through the window, and she's still going through the back of her car, and she finds her purse evidently in the back of her car. 
she gets in the car, and they don't move. They're going through her purse, or they're looking through something, and I'm telling you, it's taking, you know, you know, I thought, I can't drive around them. Maybe I should just walk around them. Finally, they get up, but they just take so long, and I see them get the window, and they got one cup of coffee. <laughs> and then I drive off, and I think, I had no response at the guy that was letting me know what he thought of me on the freeway the other day, and yet I'm perturbed at the lady that just can't find whatever to get her one cup of coffee. Can anybody have a witness? All right, to those things. So I need that transformation all the time, right? Testing all the time. So that's why when Paul says, um, you've probably heard about me, but there's a change that took place. Destroying the church was his direction, but building Jesus' church was now God's direction for his life. It's the very opposite of what he was trying to do. I think about that sometimes. I wonder if it's the very opposite, that nature that's in us, that sin nature, the very opposite that we're trying to do when Jesus gets a hold of us. He changes that nature. You tried to destroy my church, you know what you're going to do now? You're going to build it, all right? You're going to write things down that people for eternity are going to read. You're going to tent make to plant churches. You're going to encourage churches. I'm going to put you in some of the most difficult places, but you're going to build my church. He takes the gifts that he's given us. Think about it. Every one of us have a gift. We're unique. He takes those gifts, but he uses them for his kingdom. I think that's many times where we have to stop and say, God, you've, you've gifted me in these areas. How can I help you in your kingdom? It's your kingdom. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 says this. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. Isn't it interesting? Saul is born, and it takes all the way to the Damascus Road to have his heart changed. That's a long time. Think, Lord, wouldn't you get a hold of the guy when he was like five or six, like Samuel probably was? But his heart's finally changed on the Damascus Road. Yet it was at that pivotal time, in fact, we read that, it pleased the Lord to um, call me through his grace. I almost wonder if Saul would have looked back had God been calling him. He's so studious of the law, but he couldn't see who Jesus was. And then in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where I told you to go, just a little bit ago, I wanted to read this today. Galatians 2.20. And he makes this verse personal to him. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ. In fact, I'd encourage you, if you're taking notes out of your Bible, to write your name in there. So that you could even say, Walter has been crucified with Christ. Let me read that. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, 
I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In fact, the message translation says it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. That's a great translation probably for the Apostle Paul and for us. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. I'm no longer driven to impress God. That's religion. That's the the Saul that was blameless in the law, doing everything religiously. He says, I'm no longer like that because Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God. Let me read that again. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, and I am not going back on that. I love how he reminds us that this life is daily living by faith. The Apostle Paul will write later, I daily crucify this flesh. He didn't say I do it on Friday evening for the weekend. No, it's a daily walk. You know how often we walk with Jesus? Every day. It's an everyday walk. It's an everyday connection. Jesus walked among us. He was active with the disciples in them. He walks among us. It's an active relationship every day. Why? Because Jesus is the one that transforms lives. And what we started this service off today, I wanted to read this one again, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And this is out of the message. But I want you to make this personal today for you. This is your verse today. This is my verse today. And I love how it says it. He says, so here's what I want you to do. Say the next part with me. God helping you. We need his help. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to work and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you. And he develops a well-formed maturity in you. I love that. Take this life and all of the things that you do and place it before him. I really feel like when the Apostle Paul said this, and this is translated the message, that he's also talking about what he did with his life. 
leaving that former life that he was on the fast track. The best educated, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And yet when Jesus transformed his life, he probably didn't picture all of the things that Jesus would have from him. And he placed his life before God as an offering. He was well adjusted in the culture. And reminds us, don't be so well adjusted into your culture that you fit in and you don't think. Boy, that's a, that's a good word for us today. That we don't just fit in without even thinking. How do we think? We go back, what does God say about it? Don't fit into it without even thinking. In fact, he says, fix your attention on God and your change will be from the inside out. The true you is on the inside. The inside of you. I love that bit. And God brings out the best in you. Isn't that true? He brings the best part of us is what God brings out. The other part we want to stamp down and put away. He brings out the best part. Interesting, the most famous person in the world, Jesus, who's had more songs sung about him than anybody else, uh, walked this earth. In fact, we even named time after him. Don't let them rewrite time. It's before Christ, right? In Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, after death. Don't let them, don't let them rewrite. It's before everything was done. He's, he's named as time. But he wants to change lives. And he does it on the inside out when we give our life to him as an offering. Bow your heads if you would with me today. And I love that, that part of Romans 12, 1 and 2 out of the message. Because we need to hear that sometimes. So here's what I want you to do. How many times do we say that? Lord, what do I do? Here's what I want you to do. And say this with me. God will help me. Let's say, God will help me. God, we take this everyday, ordinary life, as the scripture says, sleeping, eating, going to work life. Many of us can put down going to school, working our jobs, businesses. But we place it before you as an offering. Because you are the most important thing in our life. And not just an important thing, you are Lord in our life. And so Jesus, head of the church, we submit these lives to you. You can take somebody like Saul, who's on a completely different path, doing evil against the church, change his heart to become the most radical believer that we'll see and the exploits that he does because of Jesus transforming his life. Father, let, let us never pause in life or stop and not think that Jesus can't transform this life. It's never too late. You're, when you knock, it's not to drag us out to prison. When you knock, it's to come into this heart and transform our heart. So with every head bowed and every eye closed,
If you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've never said, Jesus, be my Savior. I want to give you that opportunity today. In fact, even if you've been running from Him, doubting Him, and maybe this is a day to come back, we're all going to pray this prayer today. But when you pray this, as the Bible says in Romans 10, you confess it and you believe it in your heart. Let's all pray this prayer together. Ready? Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you lived and that you died for me. But you rose again. I accept you as my Lord, my Savior. Thank you for bringing me into your family. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. Thank you for transforming this life as your offering. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with me if you would. In fact, as always, if you prayed that prayer. You know, the most important prayer that you can ever pray is that first one, that Jesus is Lord. If you prayed that today, we want to make sure that we can pray for you at the end of service as well. We're going to end with this chorus, and then Michelle will dismiss us today. Your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. I have a homework assignment for you this week. I'd like for you to take a piece of paper and fold it in thirds and then fold it in half. And I'd like for you to take each box and take your, right, sleeping in one, eating in another, going to work, and walking around in another. And in each of those boxes, figure out what it means to place your ordinary life before him in those areas. Have you ever thought about it? What is it like to place eating as an offering before the Lord? God, I haven't figured that one out. I might need to do, do eating in each one of the boxes. But what does it mean to place our ordinary, everyday life sleeping? Are we good stewards of our sleeping? Have you ever even thought about it? Probably not. Have we ever thought about placing our ordinary walking around when you're at the grocery store, when you're at the mall, when you're walking in your neighborhood, what it means to place that before the Lord. Does it mean that when you are at the store and you're in the checkout, you're not on the phone? Completely guilty. Does it mean rather than keeping the phone in the purse when you're checking out so that, and it might sound crazy, that you're able to give your full attention not only to what they're scanning, but to the checker? right? If we're representing Jesus, does that person on the other side of that check stand, would they see that because you came through their line that day, that you were any different 
than anybody else. Would your neighbor know as you're walking your dog in the neighborhood that you're any different than any other dog owner in her neighborhood or his neighborhood? I don't know. So I think it'd be a really great assignment this week. You thought you were out of school. To just write those things down and eat on a piece of paper and figure out what it looks like. As we go into 2020, rather than just managing our life, we're managing our finances, we're managing our eating, rather than just managing the different things that we do, leading our life in a way that honors the Lord with our ordinary life. I don't know about you, but I'm game. Are you? I'm game because I want my life to be an offering before the Lord. Because sooner rather than later, we're going to stand before him. And he's going to ask what you did with my son. I know I want to hear, well done. But I want to be able to have offered him a life that honored him and that honored his son in a way that people came to eternity because of it. Amen? Well, I don't know about you, but it's been a good day in God's house. Wouldn't you agree? Amen? Well, I love seeing your face. I love seeing your faces. And I love being in here with you. Um, today we are going to have fellowship next door. Don't miss out. Sit in fellowship with one another. Have something to eat and get to know each other better. Um, if you would like prayer, please come up and let us pray with you. We would love to be able to do that. God bless you and have a great week.